There's an island off the north coast of Germany called Heligoland. In 1994, off the northwestern coast of that island, a body was discovered, with injuries that suggested foul play. Wearing smart clothes and expensive shoes, he was given the name The Gentleman. But nearly 30 years later, he's still unidentified, and his killers have got away with murder. Welcome to the mysterious case of the Gentleman of Heligoland, one of Europe's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 3 Brighton Rock I've got a piece of paper in front of me A death certificate The death certificate of a man called Michael Sterling Dean He could be the same Michael Sterling Dean Who travelled as a four-year-old Unaccompanied to Canada in 1946 on the Queen Mary And he could be the same Michael Dean listed as missing by the Toronto police from all the way back in 1991. He could even be the gentleman of Heligoland, the six-foot-five man found in the sea off the North German coast. Whoever he is, he's central to this story, and this death certificate is the key to finding out just how important. Because if it says on here he's lost at sea... The gentleman of Heligoland explanation suddenly becomes a very distinct possibility given the match in heights. But if it's a heart attack at home, he's probably not the gentleman of Heligoland. But he may well be one of Canada's oldest missing persons cases. And what's written on this death certificate? Well, neither. It's an accidental death caused by alcohol and tamazepam poisoning. It was a drug and alcohol overdose. Now what does that mean for the investigation? Well, initially, I've got some calls to make. To Joe, who found out all about this four-year-old semi-orphan going across to Canada in 1946, and to Ian, who's been researching this six-foot-six missing man from Toronto. But first, I promised Toronto Missing Persons Unit I'd get back to them as soon as I received that death certificate. Oh, hello, can I speak to Detective Constable Shona McDougall, please? Yep, just one second. Thank you. Shona speaking, how do I help? Hello, Shona, Ken Davis here. We spoke. Hi, Ken. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. We spoke last week. We did. I said I'd keep you updated if there was anything specific, any developments that I thought you should know about. And okay. Uh, I thought I should. Okay. What you got? Remember, just to go back over the, the old ground, essentially there are three pieces to this jigsaw. There's a body that's found uh, off an island in Germany, a okay. place called Heligoland. 
there's a uh, and that body is who's yeah. six foot five so an unusual yeah. height extremely unusual height yeah. there's a man that goes missing from toronto under your jurisdiction yeah. called michael dean six foot six and there's a man called michael sterling dean that we track down in england who also has connections to canada so they're the three pieces in the jigsaw and i wanted to give you an update on all three of those if i could okay firstly you'll remember the reason we tracked it down to canada was because there were labels on this person's tie and i recognized them as being from a particular retailer marks and spencers now i'm no expert but we managed to I don't know about that we might we might go that way <laughs> well i think you might after this i managed to find a man who is an expert in retail labels globally and he happens to live in canada <laughs> Get out. so his name's jonathan walford okay. he's in cambridge ontario so I spoke to him and I sent him a copy of those labels. Okay. And he's very happy to talk to you, by the way. Okay. And I'll send you his contacts. Well, he said he's. We thought they were Canadian labels, and he said they definitely are. And mm -hmm. and more than that, they were made and sold in Canada. Okay. For and he's got three reasons for that. One, he knows that the code is a Canadian Marks and Spencers code. Uh, he recognised that, we'd recognised that as well, to be fair, but he, his expertise is far greater than mine, and he says, yes, that you're right about that. It's also, uh, it, it was definitely made in Canada be, and sold in Canada because if it had been made for export, it would say made in Canada on it. Right. And it doesn't. Right. So that means it must have been sold in Canada. Okay. And thirdly... Obviously, something else obvious that I think we mentioned last time, uh, because it's it's in English and French. That that is another suggestion of Canadian. So he said, "Yeah, I'm convinced this is a Canadian, this is a Canadian piece of apparel." Even when it comes to things like Ribena, which I grew up with, <laughs> um, they don't have French and English labels in Scotland. Mm -hmm. But here, the Ribena here, mm -hmm. it's bottled in Canada, but mm -hmm. they have this sticky label over the label, mm -hmm. over the Ribena label, with the French and English. Yeah, it will be law. Yeah. I guess it will be law in Canada. Canadian made, Canadian sold, which is a big clue. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing. So I want you to be aware of that, and I will send you his contact details. He's very happy to talk to okay. you. Okay. Now, th there's, there's more. I mentioned to you when we spoke last week that I'd ordered the death certificate of Michael Sterling Dean. Right. And I'd send it to you when I received it. Well, I've received it. Okay. Excellent. And what, it, what it says is he's obviously got a date of birth, 27th of November 1941. He died in Brighton in, in East Sussex in, in the UK. And he died of accidental death. Now, but that was an accidental death caused by a drug overdose, I think. Okay. So he wasn't found at sea. So our theory that Michael Sterling Dean may be the man in the sea, yeah. he's, he's not the man in the sea. But your man could... Hey, could Michael, did he? Yes, he did. In, in my report, it mentions that he's British. So, 
I would I would look at Michael Dean born in Britain. Okay. Well, this therefore you've got two live options here. I don't mean to tell you your job. You know it far better than me. Yeah, but no, no, no. I, I love talking it over with you. Where's um with your Michael Sterling Dean? Does it mention any of anything about his height? No. Right. So you've got nothing on your Michael. No. There's nothing on his height on the death certificate. And that overdose. Yeah. Was 92. Am I right? He was found dead on the 30th of October 1992, in a in a essentially a quite a rundown flat in Brighton. I, I suspect he was, he didn't have any occupation, for example, he probably was a down and out, really. What's, what's interesting is, I wonder if we could get the autopsy on that, because that would mention his height. Yeah, it would. Now, is that something you're able to do? Or no. Just, like, I, I, I would certainly bring my investigation that way. I don't know if you can I, grab that information or if that's more entitled to... I can't. I think that that will be, you know, I'm I'm a member of the public. I, there's certain things I can get, which are death certificates, right. but I can't I can't get I can't get detailed autopsy reports. I don't think. Yeah, no, I, I could get hold of those because what if if it's an overdose and that's the kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, it's not uncommon to have some some have someone else's ID in your pocket, right? So, I could be, you could be Ken, and you're the one that overdoses, but you've had Michael's. ID in your pocket because you just stole it off from the night before. This is why you're a policeman and I'm not. I, w <laughs> I, I would never thought of that. I'm, I'm as innocent as the driven snow, though I am. So, uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, that is very true. But just just going back to to your man, Michael Dean. Mm -hmm. the, the two still very live options. Michael Dean could be this man dying in in Brighton in 1992, right. but right. given his height. He could easily still be the man found off Germany. Yeah. So there's still, from my perspective, your missing man is probably either the man in Brighton who dies or the man in the sea still. I think there's a stronger link for my missing person to be potentially the UHR in Germany. Purely based on the height yeah. and the items found on him. Now, having gotten my missing person's name, Michael Dean, and having a British connection, you've been looking for that British connection and come across a Michael Sterling Dean. Yeah, who, who, who also came to Toronto, by the way. Right, okay, that's good to know. He also came to, he, he emigrated to Toronto from the UK. Right. As, he came in 46 with that, that That's right, but that's where he came from, Brighton. Four. Oh, so he was four years old. It came on the Queen Mary on, uh, I think, uh, when the Queen Mary is being used as a troop ship and returning all the Canadian troops back to Canada. Right. Michael Sternadine was born in Brighton, came to Toronto, died in Brighton. Ah, okay. It's funny because our report doesn't mention anything about Sterling as a middle name. Okay. But there is one document I have come across that's mentioned Michael S. Dean. <laughs> so Congratulations, maybe, Shona. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe not, right? I think so. I think so. so about confirming. Funny, because I, I looked up the UHR um, one that you sent email an email of. Yeah. And um, I'm actually really impressed that they've got the clothing and the labels of the clothing on that. Like, that really uh, was impressive. Um, so German efficiency, I imagine. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, 
totally amazing. Like they've got so much information on their UHR there. Yeah. Um. So, like, I see exactly when you're talking about the label. Yeah. I'm totally agreeing with you. I think you're more of an expert. I love that you reached out to this guy in Cambridge and said, "Yeah, because it's not saying made mm-hmm. in in Canada. Canada or made in Indonesia or wherever it yeah. is, or made in Scotland, or whatever." Um. Yeah, it's for domestic consumption. I can give you information from my report that I see when I'm looking at that. There's not much information on it because a, it's a little, a little historic. We deal with a lot of historic stuff here, but this is a little historic from '91. Um, in it, it mentions he was married, and he was married in Britain and was divorced and was depressed since then and came over to Canada after that. So I'm wondering if this guy was back and forward. If it's the same guy, right? You know, at four years old, he comes to Canada. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at border crossing information with this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, eh? I'll get you those details of Jonathan Walford, this expert. I'll also send you a copy of the death certificate. I'll scan it in now and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be perfect, yeah, because uh, that's something we can confirm or deny. Great. But that's useful for me to know that he married in Britain. Your Michael Dean, the one that went missing, was British, married in Britain, divorced in Britain, and came to Canada. Hearsay. Hasn't been confirmed yet. <laughs> hey, look. That's great. I'll make sure all that information comes across to you. Okay. Uh, between us, we're going to sort this out. Absolutely. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Shona. Pleasure. You have a great uh, you have a great Thursday, and I'm de- expect an email from me in the next uh, ten minutes or so. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Shona. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. I've just received the the death certificate from this this fellow in Brighton. Yeah. So, firstly, Michael Sterling Dean. So we know it's the lad you found. Uh, yeah. He died thirtieth of October, nineteen ninety two. Well, he was found dead on the 30th of October, 1992, a place called 13 Lower Rock Gardens in Brighton. Date of birth, 27th of the 11th, 1941. So it's your Yeah, it's my my little Michael. Your little boy, yeah. He died of tamazepam and alcohol poisoning. It was an accidental death, but it sounds like it was alcohol and drug related. Oh. We don't know the story of his life. I mean, he didn't start off great, did it? We know that. But it certainly looks like that little lad ended up dying in Brighton in 1992. There was, uh, there was an inquest. So the inquest was held on the 9th of December, 1992. And the date of registration of his death is the 10th of December. So we've kind of closed that off. In I mean, a sad way as well, actually. It is, it is in a sad way because you yeah. just imagine what that, uh, certainly the early part of that lad's life is like. But it does raise some interesting questions, this, because it does sound like there's a very good chance that their missing person from 1991 could well be Michael Sterling Dean, who dies in 1992. <sighs> he, he dies in Brighton. Yeah. He was, you know, his mum and dad married in Brighton. Yes. He goes to Toronto ends up somehow making his way back to England and dying in the place he was born. Yes. Well, you know, if he is the Toronto missing man, then that's... I'm glad that that might help Toronto. I mean, 
you can always ask, you know. It's, uh, I think it's a very, very good chance your hard work may have, may have solved one of their oldest missing persons cases. Well, Do I you, hope so. Now, where that takes us in relation to the gentleman of Alagoland, we don't know yet. But, but Crumbs. But the fly in the ointment is, we know the man who went missing in Toronto was extraordinarily tall, three and a thousand tall, six foot six. We know that the gentleman of Alagoland was six foot five, three and a thousand. This man who dies in Brighton, well, he has to be six foot five. Yeah, he's got to be tall. He's got to be extraordinarily tall. Yes. If we find this Michael Sterling Dean, he's five foot ten. Well, I don't know what that means. Oh, well. You've done an amazing job, a truly amazing job. You'll probably get a Canadian knighthood for that. I actually I would like that um can you try and arrange that please I'll have a word and see what they have to say about it but uh, uh Lady Willis <laughs> thanks very much indeed <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for what you've done yeah speak to you again Ken and goodbye Ian uh thought I'd give you a ring because I've got some news for you on the death certificate ah so I've got it it's been a week but it's finally come uh, I mentioned it to Joe earlier. He was found dead 30th of October 1992, a place called 13 Lower Rock Gardens in Brighton. Now, by the right. way, I've had a look at that, that street. It's very near, the, very near the promenade at the front by the sea. And there are big houses, but I think they were split up into much smaller kind of bedsits and rooms. I don't think he was living in a palatial place. I think quite the reverse, actually. Renting a room. It looks like it. We'll need to do some more digging on that, but it looks like it. Now, just to let you know, it seems like Michael Sterling Dean had something of a tragic end in the sense of it the verdict was accidental death but it was definitely complicated by alcohol poisoning and tamazepam so drug drug misuse as well so it sounds like he you know it sounds like he got off to a rough start in his life and if this is the same man he had a rough end to his life as well if it's accidental death it sounds like it it's bordering suicide particularly if the depressed michael dean that Shona told you about has landed back in a single room in Brighton. Yeah, could could be, could be. We'll try and do some more, find some more on that. But so, what does it say on the death certificate about about him? Though, does it give his height? No, and that's the fly in the ointments, isn't it? Because this thing that Shona mentioned to me as well in our conversation that don't necessarily rely on id because people's ids get passed around stolen you can't absolutely rely on that and i suppose because it doesn't say the height on the death certificate don't know why it would but it doesn't until we can be sure about that height we've got to leave all the options open so what we need is the coroner's report of the inquest because there would be a pathologist report which will start with basic measurements, I guess. Yeah, well, I know you've been trying to do that, haven't you? I know you've been trying to find the coroner's report or get access to the coroner's report. Have you, uh, 
Have you had any look on that, Ian? Well, we've tried digging out reports in the local newspaper. First and foremost, we thought if we looked in the last quarter of 92, November, December of 92, we would find either the body being found or a report of the inquest. And the problem we've got is that all of those local papers, the Argos, the Argos, sorry, uh, Argos is on the high street as well, but I don't think they've got any missing persons reports. The uh, Brian Argos. It's a big catalogue, though, Ian. It's, I've never been. Yeah, it's a big catalogue. It's probably in there. It's in but, there somewhere. Yeah. After the toasters, I suspect. <laughs> yeah, after the fake ID section. The Brian Argos, if we could look at those, we might well find a report for the inquest. Now, we've tried uh, over the last few days to get access into those, but they're all stored as actual newspapers in a place called The Keep, which is a repository for millions of different pieces of information in Sussex. The frustrating thing, Ken, is that the inquests can be reported in the newspapers at the time, but when I first rang the coroners and asked for a copy of the coroner report, they pointed out that they are private. They're, They're not released for 75 years. Now, we don't really need to know everything in that inquest. We've got a cause of death from the death certificate. We would like to know the top line of the pathologist report, really, which is whether their man is six foot five, six foot six. I uh, followed up my knockback with a letter trying to prove that I was an interested party, because then I would be entitled to a copy of the report. What did they say? Shall I give you the line and a half reply that I got, Ken? Thank you for your email. As stated in my colleague's email to you, as you're not classed as an interested person for the purposes of the inquest, we're unable to provide to you the information you're requesting. Right. So not even a little sneaky peek at the top line of the pathologist report to say, yeah, this fellow was six foot six and you've solved the Canadian case. (laughs) So what can we do? The first option is I could speak to Shona in Canada and ask her to request that information that we've been denied. So I can certainly have that conversation and see see if she can help on that. So that's one option, but... I did ask, by the way, if they would be able to supply the information if the Toronto Police Department requested it. They have not replied to that request. <laughs> it's worth trying if Shona wants to ask, but we've got to think of a different way. I think there's got to be reports in the local papers. What other options have we got? I suppose the best option might be the families. If we can find someone who we know was related to Michael Sterling Dean, who may happen to remember him. Because the key to this is the man in Brighton who died, whether he's Michael Sterling Dean or someone else, an imposter. We need the height of that man, don't we? We do. The, the height of the man who died, whether he's Michael Sterling Dean or whether he's someone else who happens to have his ID. Maybe I can make contact with people who live next door. Stuff like that. If this guy has been staggering around under the influence of drugs and alcohol for the whole of the second half of uh, 1991, you're right. If we can find people who were living locally, then they may well remember this guy was six foot six and probably thin as a rake, staggering about. That's quite memorable. We don't have many options. We've got Shona, we've got 
what might be in the newspapers and maybe we've got someone who happened to live close maybe we can make contact with them and see if they can give us an indicator on how tall that man was they may remember the case remember may remember him dying back in 1992 i suppose the other thing that i wouldn't mind doing from here on in is probably worth us talking to the german police locate international one of the universities are involved in it as well maybe goldsmiths college because there's certain other information that i want to find out i'd like to know a little bit more about the injuries on the body i'd like to know more about some of the other clothes that I've heard about. This pair of trousers from France. Yeah, there's a blue shirt. Yeah. I, I mean, he was wearing a tie, so he must have had a shirt on. <laughs> well, it's described as a blue shirt in some reports, but not on Locate Internationals. I know, which is odd, isn't it? So I think we need to get to the bottom of that in terms of exactly what he was wearing, because he probably had socks on. If his shoes are still on, you'd think the socks would still be on because they, if the socks aren't, the socks aren't coming off unless the shoes come off. So That's true. Uh, he might have been a hipster though and, and wore his loafers and no socks. I was too early for that though, wasn't it? That, we, we all wore socks <laughs> in 1992. All the time, even in bed. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. So that sounds like a plan. Let's get on with that. And uh, hey, let's see where we are in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for downloading the podcast. It seems to be up on all the platforms now and the listenership is growing at a very rapid rate. It's taken off much quicker than the Fred podcast did and we're very pleased that you've joined us at the very start of what I think is going to be a fascinating journey. Already the podcast is starting to get noticed. I was watching completely independently a German TV report on the case yesterday and the reporter mentioned that there was a podcast in England, and I think that's us. But as with everything we do, it's gonna be a collective effort, and I want to pay special thanks to a couple of people who have gone beyond the call of duty in the last week. Mo Tomlin, who I know well from the Fred podcast, and Fiona Griffin, both live near Brighton, and both Mo and Fiona were dispatched to find out what they could in the newspapers and the local records about Michael Sterling Dean, particularly anything in regard to his height. And both have found some critical information, which we'll discuss in episode four. So a very big thank you to Mo and to Fiona. We greatly appreciate your help. But we need to get back to the story because something important is about to come up something had been bothering me. Something's been bothering me about this case for a while and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And it was about the shoes. I had a distinct feeling something wasn't quite right about them. And as you're about to find out, something wasn't quite right about them. Now, there's a picture of one of the shoes that was found on the body. It's in all the media coverage of the case. Now, I'm presuming it's from the body. It says it's from the body. It looks like it's from the body. But something's not right about it. I'd better describe that picture to you. It's up on the Facebook page, but I appreciate a lot of people are going to be listening to this 
on their commute to work or they might not be in front of a computer screen so I'll describe it there's a shoe it's what's called a loafer so a slip-on with a metal clasp that runs across the top it looks very badly deteriorated presumably after a long period in the sea but that's not the only thing on that picture next to the shoe is a ruler that shows the length of that shoe in centimeters it's around 33 centimeters long now my feeling looking at that shoe was this because I knew something about the footwear industry back in the day and of course I was in my mid-twenties at the time I thought that was a Gucci shoe not a churchy shoe because of that metal clasp Gucci were famous for making loafers with a metal clasp across the top churches went so I had this theory that maybe these weren't churchy shoes maybe these were Gucci shoes but how could I take that further forward well remember Jonathan Walford our clothing label expert and also it happens shoe expert based in Canada I thought I might just send the picture of the shoes across to him and ask him the question are these churchy shoes or are they Gucci shoes and what he came back with turns out to be very very significant and in fact means that the information that the police have put out there to the general public is wrong so this is what Jonathan came back with hi Ken I assume there must have been a name printed on the sock or lining for the police to suggest churches you're right though churches is not who comes to my mind as the manufacturer of this style however everyone was copying the Gucci loafer with the snaffle in the late 1980s and early 1990s and that shoe is definitely not by Gucci's because the snaffle that's the metal clasp is wrong I wouldn't be surprised if churches made them as the English shoe industry was under pressure to keep sales up in the early 1990s as there was a lot of competition from Italy Spain Brazil and Eastern Europe but one thing I noticed is odd am I reading the length correctly at 32 33 centimeters that is a big shoe it's about a UK 16 there should be some kind of sizing on it printed on the lining or incised into the sole near the waist even if it was made by churches it might still have a North American sizing on it if it was made for export so that's what Jonathan said and I wonder if you've spotted the huge issue well the huge issue is this in all the media coverage and I'm talking everything by the German police by Locate International all of the newspapers the shoes are described over and over again black or navy leather loafers manufactured by churches size 11 size 11 I don't think so they were nowhere near size 11 they were much 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 bigger 16 that is very significant firstly either the picture purporting to be the shoe from the dead body isn't from that body it's just a random shoe and I think that's unlikely given the picture because it looks like it's been in the sea or 
they've got the wrong shoe size. Both cannot be true. And I think they've got the shoe size wrong. But as always, I needed to check. So I went on a classic men's apparel website and I re-looked at the picture and I checked that length again in centimetres, 33 centimetres long. And according to that website, that corresponded to a size 16 UK, 17 US or Canada. Jonathan was right. This man was wearing a size of shoe completely out of the range of normal shoe manufacture. You try and order a size 16, you can't. Church's shoes today, well they only go up to size 14. So these shoes probably would have been made to special order. That could be very useful. But that's not all. Ian was about to point out something that I hadn't thought of. So, Ian, obviously you're aware of what Jonathan Walford has just told me about these this shoe and the size of it. What, what do you make of that? Well, frankly, Ken, I'm astounded. I think Jonathan's information, uh, and he's absolutely right if that picture is correct, uh, that the shoe 32.5, 32.8 centimetres long, is actually a much bigger size than the 11. It's nowhere near an 11. I'm, I mean, I'm an 11, and I'm 5 foot 10. Mm. Yeah, he would have looked very strange, actually, if 6 foot 6, but with tiny little girl feet. He would have blown over. That's probably what happened. He blew off the boat. Uh, one thing has struck me, Ken. Why would they say that it was an 11? I think if a shoe this size is, what, a size 16 in the UK? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a 16, maybe a 16 and a half in the UK. Extraordinarily large. Uh, but yes, that kind of size. It's quite a massive lead, that, I think, because here's a thought for you. If it's a 16 in the UK, that would make it a 17 in North America or Canada. Yeah. And if it was 17 and it had been worn for a year or two and then spent six months underwater, that could easily look like 11 on the inside of the shoe as the seven is worn down a little bit. And I'm wondering if the police have said 11 because they've looked in the shoe, read 11, and nobody's actually thought to check whether that makes any sense, apart from we just did, and it doesn't. Okay, just hang on. So what you're saying there is the figure seven, certainly because if it's in an Anglophile area, it doesn't have the line going across the seven as it does in European. It mm -hmm. could just look after a load of wear like two vertical lines, maybe one slightly not quite as vertical as the other. But it could be a 17 that they're mistaking for an 11. That's, that's where I went with it. I wow. think that makes more sense than it being a 16 and a 6 wearing down to look like a 1. No chance. But a, a 7, definitely. I think that's a lead, a lead and a half, because I'm not sure shoes of that size are, are common. Yeah. I think they'd have to be specially ordered. I mean, just thinking about what you've said there, there are no numbers apart from one and seven which would wear down to look like a one. There's all the other ones around it, thinking about it, unless I'm maybe a four, but that wouldn't look like a one. Mm. You know, the actual length of the shoe may be slightly different because it's been in the water, etc. Well, what we do know from that, Ian, absolutely certain, if that picture that purports to be the shoe that came from the body is 
the shoe that came from the body, the information that the police have put out to everyone, Locate International, all the universities, all the media, is wrong. Way out. And that means, and again, I'm extrapolating, if they've been ruling people out because they've had size 15 feet and they think they know it's a size 11 feet, that's a big problem. Well, there's not many clues, is there? And if, and if, if one of them is actually misleading, then it's definitely not helpful. Right. Well, what I need to do, therefore, is I better ring the German police. And this is going to be an awkward conversation. Say, this information you've put out there about the size of the shoes isn't right. Either the picture's wrong or the shoe size you've given out is wrong. But they can't both be right. They can't. Okay. I'll keep you posted, mate. So, we've got ourselves some homework to do. Firstly, I've got to speak to Germany. I think all the information that's in the public domain emanates from the Wilhelmshaven police. So I need to speak to them to get to the bottom of the actual size of the shoes that were found on the body. I am pretty certain they were not 11s. Secondly, if they weren't 11s and they were 16 or 17 that that picture indicates they were, that opens up a lot more avenues. Because we can try and talk to Church's shoes. They probably won't remember who they sold individual shoes to back in 1990. But remember, these sizes would have been dealt with differently. They would have been a special or a one-off or a bespoke order. Size 16s would not have been part of the standard production batch. Absolutely doesn't make economic sense to do that. They wouldn't have sold more than a dozen pairs of 16s or 17s every year probably far fewer they may not have sold a dozen pairs of 16s or 17s in three years so that feels like a breakthrough because one of those few pairs that they made ended up on the feet of a man who ended up himself in the north sea and we've already started to reach out to them so we can find out more about how church's shoes dealt with extreme sizes and thirdly we still need to finish off the story in brighton definitively find the height of the man who died we suspect he was six foot five and if he was six foot five he is probably the missing man from canada and we can close that off for them but if he's five foot ten well who knows what's going on but that's for next time. So, until next time, have a good one. The Mysterious Case of the Gentleman of Heligoland is a copyrighted GSE Media production, written and narrated by Ian Mackay and Ken Davis, and produced by myself, Ken Davis. <laughs>